Well, it is November. Another year is racing by. The leaves are changing and falling and all that kind of stuff that has to be done outside for before winter gets here. I'm here in Oklahoma, most of the lawns are turning brown and all that hard work and fertilizer and trimming and everything just kind of gone. But it comes with territory. Uh, just over two years ago, we had an ice storm that really kind of altered the, the landscape. We lost a good section of a big tree in our front yard. And I have pictures looking down our street, and it looks like a war zone. And large parts of tree, trees had fallen into the street. Uh, some streets are impassable because of that. Uh, some lost power and internet. Our one daughter-in-law that works from home, she had to come over to our house to be able to work from home. Um, and, of course, it was all made worse because students were home because of the pandemic and trying to do school from home. So that didn't help things. But now everything is back to normal, whatever that is. And many of us have all but forgotten that short time of disaster. Usually we bounce back pretty quick, putting the past behind us. There are sometimes we are unable to do that. There's losses that become permanent and life-changing. But one thing we know is no matter what's happening in our lives, the Lord's with us and helping us to get through it. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you are with us always. No matter where we're going, what we're doing, what's happening in us, around us, that you're there and just praise you for that. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, Father, help us to get the message that you have for us, that we can uh, grow a little bit more and grow closer to you. And, Lord, just be better informed as to how you want us to live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since we are in the month of Thanksgiving, I thought it would be good to start off with a message about giving. And there are five Tuesdays in the month, and so that means that during the month I would be giving a message on giving or stewardship or tithing or whatever. Anyway, so I thought we'd just kind of start off the month that way. Well, the Bible says a whole lot of that about that. That's a, a really... I don't want to say popular topic, but something that the Lord knew we were going to need help with. And so it's hard to know where to start. And I'm sure, no matter what I say, I've probably said it before. So let me start with a scripture that I'm pretty sure that I haven't used in the past. <coughs> it's kind of long, so bear with me. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 31, beginning in verse 2. It says, Hezekiah assigned the priest in the, and the Levites to divisions, each of them according to their duties as priests or Levites, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks, and sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. 
The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel in Judah, who lived in the towns of Judah, also brought a tithe of their herds and their flocks, and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites about the heaps, and Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. <coughs> Excuse me. I know that was a lot, but it's necessary for you to get the whole picture here. Uh, but the scripture may not be familiar to many of you. Um, it was one of them I didn't remember reading and probably read it several times. So to look at this, we need to, to move back to chapter 29. In the first two verses, it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Okay, so we know that Hezekiah, he was one of the good guys. Okay, that's why he said in chapter 31 that people need to be bringing their tithes as they should. So he was trying to please the Lord in what he did. Well, our passage begins with Hezekiah telling the leaders of Judah to make offerings and give thanks and sing praises to the Lord. And he set the example in verse 3, because it says that he gave as well. In verse 4, he said he ordered the Israelites to bring their offerings. Verse 5, he says, as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Okay, so once they were told what they needed to do, they did so abundantly. You know, they knew this is what the king <coughs> excuse me, is telling us to do. <coughs> and so that's what we need to do. In verse 6, it said, Those living in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their, their herds and their flocks and the holy things. and Everything was dedicated to the Lord, and they piled them in heaps. Tithes had to be piled in heaps. 
when I was pastoring churches, I never had that problem. Okay? I served churches that were generous in giving, but it wasn't coming in heaps. Okay? And then in verse 7, uh, it tells us that they did this for five months. They kept bringing an abundant a tithe what they knew that they needed to bring. When Hezekiah and the officials saw it, they, it says they praised the Lord and blessed his people. Well, verses 9 to 10, it says that Hezekiah wanted to know why there was so much. And he was told that that they had more than enough, all that they needed and plenty to spare. So why do I share this? When God's people do as they know they should be doing, there's no end to the blessings that will come from this. Now, maybe pastors and churches and church leaders need to do what Hezekiah did in verse 4. It says, he ordered the tithes to be brought. Now, I know the people in the churches where I served knew what they should do because I told them on a regular basis. And some responded, <clears throat> and others, they just couldn't grasp it. Or some just really chose not to. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, I'm really not into that, I guess. When we do what God expects us to do, the blessings flow abundantly. Okay, not just a little here and a little there, but the blessings flow abundantly. One thing I or we need to learn is we are stewards of what we possess. We're not owners. Okay, we're only stewards of this. The truth is everything we have is God's. And when we know that in our hearts, we won't feel any grief when we give. Instead, we'll feel joy and gratitude knowing that God has blessed us so much that we can bless others. Now, I've said that I know many times in the past. We're not blessed only for ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're blessed so we can be a blessing to others. Now, to a passage that it's probably a little more familiar to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Okay, you'll be blessed by how you bless others. Okay, I believe that if, if God is continuing to bless you, and you're continuing to put it in your 401k or buy a bunch of stuff or whatever, God's going to say, okay, he's not going to be doing what I need him to be doing, so I'm going to hold off on the blessings. 
Okay, but if we're doing what the Lord expects us to do by blessing other people, we'll know that God's blessings are going to continue. Okay, the blessed life is an outgrowth of cheerful giving. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, we're told of the blessings that we can expect. Verses 1 and 2 says, If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All the blessings will come on to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Well, then Moses goes on to list these blessings. <coughs> he says he's going to, God is going to bless the womb, the crops, the livestock, going to give you victory, everything that you put your hand to. And the list goes on and on of the blessings that God is just waiting to pour out to us. And what's holding him up? You and me, because we're not doing what God expects us to do. So let's look at a New Testament example of how God blesses what we bring to him. Okay, probably most of you are familiar with Jesus feeding the 4,000 or the 5,000. And I'm going to look at John's version of this in chapter 6. Okay, Jesus had been teaching and healing and it says that a crowd of about 5,000 men were there. Well, it doesn't tell us that there was probably another ten to 15,000 women and children. Okay, now let's think about that. Okay, if there was 5,000 men, and let's say there was 12,000 women and children, that's 17,000, all right? The average NBA arena holds 19,000. So the people that were there would pretty much fill a basketball arena. And so it makes it easier for me to be able to picture that. So the disciples are thinking, yeah, how are we going to feed all these people? And, you know, there's nothing around that, that we can, can go and get food and certainly not food enough. And so they asked Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, how are we going to feed these folks? And Jesus says, you do it. You feed them. So Philip, in verse 5 of chapter 6, says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough food for each one to have a bite. Oh, ye of little faith. And then Andrew comes along and says that he's got a little bit more faith by what he says. In verse 6, he says, Here's a boy of five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? To him, it would be like being at that NBA arena and saying, you know, this boy's got some chips and a couple hot dogs. You know, how, how are we going to feed all these people on a bag of chips and some hot dogs? Obviously, what the boy had could not feed all those people. Unless... The loaves and the fish are given to Jesus. Now, most of us know the rest of the story. Or do we? Jesus took what was given to him and multiplied it 
thousands of times over. Hmm, do you think he still does that? If you don't, well, you need to because he does. But that's not the end of the passage. In verse 12, John tells us everyone was full and that Jesus told them to gather the leftovers. Okay, so the disciples knew what they needed to do. And Jesus said, I don't want anything wasted. Well, in verse 13, it says, So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets. The Greek for baskets means a small basket. Okay, at one time I used to think, you know, they're going around with these bushel baskets filling all this up. But what's the significance of knowing that these were small baskets? Why didn't John say they picked up the leftovers? But it was the 12 baskets, but there were 12 small baskets. 12 small baskets, 12 disciples. It's believed that disciples carried a small basket with them. In, in that they'd have the things that they needed, kind of like a fanny pack, okay? So Jesus had met the needs of thousands for that day. He met the needs of his 12 disciples for the next day or so. And he meets my needs for more than a day at a time. Now, obviously, the disciples, you know, if there had been 12 bushel baskets— have been kind of hard for him to walk down the road with that for any length of time. So it was just enough to fill their 12 baskets. So let's go back to the Old Testament for some more wisdom. My wife and I have been reading through Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. And this is Ecclesiastes 5, 13 to 15. And, you know, I, I find Ecclesiastes rather humorous at times, and sometimes very convicting. So, beginning in verse 13, Solomon says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Now, some people, they didn't get that. Okay, because I, I was looking and there's some people that took things to the grave that they thought they might need wherever they thought they were going. Frank Sinatra, he had a bottle of his favorite whiskey in his coffin with him. Bob Marley... He had his guitar and a Bible and some pot that was put there by his wife. Sandra West, uh, her husband was a millionaire. I'm not sure what he did, how they got their millions. But she was buried in her 1964 blue Ferrari. Okay, so there's many others. But what Solomon said is the truth. And he would have been a, a billionaire times over. And so he knew 
I'm not taking this with me. I don't care how much gold or silver I have. I don't care how many palaces I have or how many bulls or sheep or whatever else. It's not going with me. It's all staying here. <coughs> well, Job tells us this in another way. Job had received bad news after bad news. Losing his livestock, his camels, his servants, and he had just received the news that his sons and daughters had been killed. This is Job 1, 20 and 21. It says, At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I don't think I'd have that same attitude. Okay? Maybe down the road sometime, but not receiving the news now. And a few minutes later, I'm praising the Lord. I don't think so. Okay? The losses that he had had of his camels and servants and livestock and all that, you know, that's something you say, you know, he can, can replace. But to lose all of his children, okay, he goes on to tell us in Job that he had more children, but still at that time and through everything that he went through, to know that his children are gone. So I don't think I'd be ready to praise the Lord with everything that was laid on to Job. But this message isn't all, apart, all about our giving to the Lord. Okay, But that's where it starts. But no matter how little I may have, I can still give back to him a portion, a portion of what's already his. Now, Mark and Luke give us this account. I'm going to use Mark's. And in Chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. This is from the message. It says, Sitting across from the offering box, Jesus was observing how the crowd tossed their money in for the collection. Many of the rich were t making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples disciples over and said, The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. The moral of the story, Jesus is still watching. He sees what we're giving whether it's in the offering plate or online or however you give, Jesus knows. You know, and like I said, that it's not ours to begin with. So we should be able to, to give generously. This story about, I don't think it's true, but a story about a $1 bill and a $100 bill that were going to be destroyed because they were worn out and ripped and all. And the $1 bill said to the $100 bill, I bet you've been to some fine places. And the $100 bill says, I have. 
fine restaurants, jewelry stores, you know, you name it. You know, I've been to all those places. What about you? You're much younger than me. I'm sure you've been to some good places. And the $1 bill said, I've been to none of those places. For me, it was every week back to church, back to church, back to church. You know, you can fold a hundred or a $1 bill any way you want. It's still only a dollar. Now, if that's the only dollar that you have, you've given extravagantly, like the widow. But if you're going to fish that dollar bill out of your wallet and there's 20s and 50s and 100s in there, or when you get ready to give online, you punch in what you want to give. And so God's watching. He knows what we give. The message I believe the Lord has for us is this. Generosity is not about how much you have. It's about trusting God with what you have. Okay? Generosity is not about how much you have. It's about trusting God with what you have. Some don't give as they should. They don't believe that God will bless them or make up the difference. And when God says he will meet all of our needs, he means exactly that. So you can take that to the bank. Okay? But our giving is a reflection of our faith. Our giving is a reflection of how we feel God is going to give back to us. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for being the God that you are. You're the God of everything. All that we have is yours. Okay, we may claim it and, and treat it like it's ours, and you want us to do that, to take good care of everything that you've given us and to be good stewards of all that you've given us. But, Father, we need to, to recognize the fact that it's only mine for as long as I'm, I have breath, and then it's all going back to you, Lord. So, Father, help us as your children to know how we need to give, what we need to give to and to know that you're watching. You know how we give. You know how we bless others or not. And Lord, if there's anyone that's listening to this that, that doesn't know you, I praise that today will be the day that they make the most important decision of their lives, that they turn their lives over to you. And there's only one way to do it, through a prayer just like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you rose him from the dead and that he's coming back again. And I will have eternal life because of what Jesus did. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides me and directs me through my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.